0: There's something about that world of graphic medicine where you put it out onto paper and you still sit with those feelings. But when you close the book or when you have something tangible and you can walk away from it, it does let you digest it in a way that talking about it or ignoring it or sublimating it in some way won't.
1: Hello, and welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm Jill Farmer, one of the lead coaches at Doc Working and one of the co-hosts of this podcast. And I'm really excited today to have joining us for a conversation, Dr. Michael Natter, who is an MD and in his second year of fellowship as an endocrinologist, done with residency now, moving on into life as a practicing physician in this fellowship program. And Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. We're really glad to have you.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's quite an honor and a pleasure.
1: One of the things that makes you maybe a little different than some of the other folks who are listening to us is not only are you a physician, but you are also an artist, a professional artist who does a variety of work and works in a couple of different mediums. Can you tell us a little bit about your life as an artist and your desire to be a physician and how those two things merged, if you will?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I like to describe myself as, or I guess when I was applying to medical school, I'd be described as non-traditional, but I really kind of came into medicine through a very different way. And right now I feel like my art and my medicine are so intertwined that they can't really be teased apart at this point. So I grew up in New York city and I always gravitated toward the arts, uh, something that I was naturally good at. I enjoyed. It came very easily to me, but the math and the science did not. And I was actually kind of told you know, you're not really a math and science kid. You're more of an art kid. Stick to what you're good at, you know, in in no negative ways, but, you know, like play to your strengths kind of thing. No medicine in my family, no doctors or anything like that. And so, you know, I never really thought about medicine until I turned nine and I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. And that kind of opened up this world to me of physiology and, you know, this whole kind of really elegant and intricate process that would be going on and handled by the pancreas was now my full-time responsibility as a kid. So it actually opened up this world to me and I was in awe. And so that kind of medicine bug bit me then, but I was always kind of a little bit shy from the math and sciences. So to make a very, very long story short, I ended up doing an art degree and then did a post-bacry medical program. And I started to draw my notes out in medical school. As a way to kind of recall, remember, and understand these topics. And it was in doing that that things started to click and I started to do quite well and understand things. And then I was able to not only use it as a didactic tool for myself, but also now for medical students and residents and interns and also my patients.
1: And I've seen you've written and said a couple of different times and places that art makes you a better physician. Why is that?
0: I think art is very universal. I think something very unfortunate happens. We're all born and in preschool and kindergarten, first grade, we all are drawing. It's a very natural thing for us to do. And then what's unfortunate is that a lot of us stop. And I think there's a whole podcast that we can talk about for the reasons why, but regardless, it is something that's very, I think, innate to us as human beings to draw in the visual sense. And I also think that when you use Art as a form of communication, you're breaking down barriers like literacy, like language, like age. And when you're talking about complex medical physiology, if you can break it down to that of a child's understanding in a cartoon or an illustration, anyone can digest that, whether you're a medical scientist or a patient that's never opened a textbook before. And so that I think is the sweet spot of being a good physician, is that idea of communication and communication is key to art and to medicine.
1: Really cool. So One of the things that you've talked about as well is the fact that at some point, art was a form of expression and almost a way that you were processing everything. I'm presuming emotion, stress, the things that show up in life, and this is a medium for you to express that. Now you've talked about the fact that art has become not just an expression to process your own energy, stress, what have you, but also to become a really meaningful way for you to communicate with patients, with colleagues, and have a voice in the world. Can you talk a little about that?
0: Yeah, you know, I think my art kind of falls into a handful of buckets. I think three buckets overall. There's the didactic bucket, the strictly didactic bucket. So when I was studying for step one, or when I was, you know, preparing for an exam in medical school, I was drawing purely for myself to teach myself the material. That stayed the same, that bucket, but then a new bucket emerged when I started going through my clinical rotations, and then intern year, and then residency, and COVID, and then fellowship and this emotional stressful very unique experience of being a physician and a trainee in and of itself and then you know during covid there's sometimes very difficult ways to articulate or there's no ways to articulate those feelings and to process those feelings other than having an outlet like art and so this other bucket was this kind of narrative medicine this graphic medicine that kind of came about for me and so i would start drawing these kind of Comic style illustration and graphic novel style pieces to, I guess, kind of recount an experience, a moment, a feeling that I was having given certain emotionally heavy situations.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. I had a chance to really look at some of your work, and I love it. I love the the more illustrative, anatomical, if you will, quite beautiful. The splatter pieces, as some of them are called, and then also the more cartoon style that have the message and. In that way, I thought it was interesting because the cartoons really do illustrate and do share a message of humor, satire, (laughs) if you will. And there's sometimes a more serious message underneath. I mean, there was one of them that was funny. I like, it says an apple a day will keep the doctor away. And it shows this patient essentially beaning a doctor (laughs) with apples (laughs) to keep them running down the hall. And you know, that's funny and interesting and a little scary on multiple levels. Can you talk a little bit about the different levels that you communicate with Particularly, this more cartoon medium that's emerged for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, in medicine, my friends and I, it's like either laugh or you cry. Like there's so much going on. And so, humor is really like for me a good tool to kind of harness that is teased into my work. And humor works in a number of ways. So, when I'm doing something that's didactic, humor adds an extra layer of stickiness. If something's cute and funny, in addition to it, you know, teaching me something, I'll remember it better. I'll, I'll encode that better, and then remember it better when I try to retrieve it. But then humor can also work to soften the blow of, you know, a social commentary or uh, criticism. You know, medical training is extremely archaic and it's extremely grueling. And I, for one, and I think most of us don't think it needs to be that way. I don't think that our learning and our training needs to be what it was in the late eighteen hundreds. And I don't think that would affect the caliber of physician one would become if it were to be more humane. And I often will kind of poke fun at the absurdities that's required of us at times, like these 28-hour shifts and you know basically having no time to take care of yourself, and yet you're preaching the exact opposite to your patients for them to become healthy. And so that irony to me is humorous when you make a comic about it, but underneath all that, it's actually quite painful.
1: Yeah. And it's really maybe a new way for this important message to be heard. It comes through so often in all generations of physicians that we talk to on a variety of different subjects, light and heavy, just questioning the institution of the grueling nature of the training. So I appreciate your perspective on that. And it's one that I know resonates with a lot of our listeners. And speaking of which, you know, we have, we're up to thousands now of physicians who like to listen to these conversations that we have. And one of the most popular ones we've ever had was one where we talked about the importance of having hobbies <laughs> outside medicine. And so I think the reason so many physicians tuned into that one is it's not something that is easy for people to put in practice. And I know for you, art isn't a hobby. I think it's too limiting of a term to describe the role that art plays in your life. But talk a little bit, if you will, about your experience of why physicians even those who quote aren't artists or don't have the same talent that you have need to make room for whatever that expression is for themselves in their life and practice.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a huge point. I'm actually glad you brought that up. And yeah, you can call it a its a hobby. I think the problem is when something leads into a career, then you no longer have that same passion for it. So I'm happy to call it a hobby, but it's very much kind of intertwined into who I am today and how I kind of got through my training and how I continue to express myself. And I think what happens is this funny thing happens where you are meant to be this all around amazing, shining human being to get into medical school. They want to see your ballet recitals and your cello and all this other stuff in addition to your scores. But then once you get in the doors there, there's really no time or you create this sense in your mind that there's no time to do anything other than study. And when you're not studying, you're worried that everyone else is studying and then you're going to fail out. And that's a very kind of common thread. And there is this very prominent imposter syndrome that I think is pervasive in all of medicine. It's really true in almost every culture and every business culture, but I feel like medicine in particular, and I think it's because it's so hierarchical and you always kind of look up and see other people and think that that could never be you. And then somehow you're there, but then you still don't feel like you belong. And the only way I think to retain some sense of identity, because just being a doctor is a very great identity, but it shouldn't be all you are. And I think if that's all you are, it could become extremely burnout prone and difficult. So, you know, I like to think about my friends in medical school who did row or sail and ask them like, why don't you just carve out a period of time to do so? Because it's such a shame that that part of your life is like put to bed. And I think what happens is, or the way I used to describe it to my non-medical friends is that a normal person can carve up their day with plenty of sections. There's the, you wake up, you go to work section, but then there's also the, you get done with work, you can go to the gym and then you get a drink with a friend and then you read a book and then you watch TV and then you go to bed or whatever that may be. And in medicine, you kind of, can split that down to one thing. So you get out of work. And if you're someone that needs to exercise, you go to the gym, but that means you're done. Like you go to the gym, you go home, that's it. Or vice versa. You know, if you're someone that like myself, that really needs to draw, you'll find the time, whether it's five minutes or an hour to do so, because that is what keeps you sane and anchored. And I think once you figure out what that is, and obviously it becomes more and more difficult as you get older, because, you know, then you've families and then you have social times and more responsibilities at work. But if you make that a priority, which I think most people should, it kind of anchors you and keeps you from getting burnt out so quickly, in my opinion.
1: Could not agree more. (laughs) So thank you for your perspective on that, because we see it's borne out in a lot of different ways. And I often say with my physician clients and have this comes up in conversations in various ways all the time, but doctors are not afraid of working really, really hard. What burns physicians out is the disconnection from what is meaningful about the work and a lack of space of what is meaningful in that kind of whole picture of the whole physician, as we call it here on the podcast. And so I think it's integral. It's just not another thing you need to put on your to-do list, but it's an integral fuel to make this meaningful work sustainable. So I really love how you put that. And I think that's an important message for all of our physicians to hear. I know you guys are finding this as interesting as I am, and we have lots more coming up right after this important message from Board Vitals.
2: Preparing for your board exam or looking for a quick and convenient way to earn CME? Study for your board exam and fulfill your CME requirements with Board Vitals. Board Vitals is the leading online board review platform with question banks and CME activities available in more than 50 medical and healthcare specialties. Board Vitals questions are loaded with detailed explanations, reference materials, and evidence-based rationales. And now you can take your studying on the go with Board Vitals mobile app. People who use Board Vitals question banks have a higher pass rate by 9% from the national average and an 18% reduction in study time. Board Vitals has helped more than 400,000 practitioners pass their board exams. They offer a free trial for all their question banks, and they offer a 100% pass guarantee when you sign up for a subscription of three months or more sign up today and get a special discount for being part of the doc working community by using the code doc working 10 that's d-o-c-w-o-r-k-i-n-g and the number 10 that's a 10% discount code just for being part of our community with the discount code doc working 10 for board vitals dot com. That's b o a r d v i t a l s dot com.
1: A couple of other final questions. I think you're pretty brave sometimes in the message that you share in the art and in the cartoons, as you talked about sometimes questioning the machine (laughs) and how the institution with capital I of medicine is separated sometimes from the human side of what's happening. We often hear from our physician clients and from physician listeners that culture. And the institution of medicine doesn't always encourage physicians or doesn't ever really encourage physicians to be vulnerable, even though we know vulnerability is a really important and meaningful human expression that makes a lot of things better. Is it scary for you to sometimes be vulnerable in your art as you share some of these messages and ideas through that? And we talk about that experience briefly.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's another excellent point to bring up. You know, for me, and I think, again, this is kind of part and parcel to the way in which I came into medicine, which again, is this, I guess, I like, quote, unquote, non-traditional route. I've always been kind of unapologetically myself, which is usually <laughs> very vulnerable and a little bit like self-flagellating in some degree and poking fun at myself a little bit. And I think that in some cases was a defense mechanism, but now has become almost like a rallying cry because I see it in all of my colleagues. Like, I would put up these comics poking fun at myself of feeling incompetent or insufficient or just not doing as well as I should. And I thought I was alone in those feelings. And the beauty of things like social media is that putting that out into an open space, I was kind of shocked at what flooded back at me, which was, oh my God, I feel exactly the same way. You nailed everything that I'm feeling and going through. And You would never know that. I think people put on this brave face because this culture of medicine kind of necessitates that or has bred that because especially I see in my colleagues, these are people that got straight A's their whole lives and have always been the best of the best. I kind of wasn't. I worked hard, but I got very fortunate in getting into medical school and then did well afterward. But these people were born doing well. And I think it's very hard to always be the best of the best and then all of a sudden feel like you're not or people around you are doing better or whatever it may be. And I think those feelings are never spoken about. And this kind of machine, as you put it, really does kind of drone a lot of the humanity out of you when you're doing very difficult work. And by difficult, I don't necessarily mean intellectually difficult, I mean physically and emotionally difficult. People sick, people suffering, people dying and having to talk to them and their families and having to try to have these difficult conversations that no education can prepare you for. And to not really acknowledge that and acknowledge the kind of privilege that we have to do so, but also the emotional toll that that can take on one another and not have a space to talk about it or digest it or, you know, deal with it is tough. And so for me, it was weird that it was kind of easy for me to be vulnerable. But for me, the weird part was the response i didn't expect that was overwhelmingly everyone saying that they felt exactly the same way
1: right because when we are vulnerable we are opening the door for meaningful and real human connection we're so afraid of it but it's such a integral ingredient for meaningful connection and we know meaningful connection is a huge antidote to burnout and so i'm always shouting from the rooftops to my <laughs> physician clients you don't have to be vulnerable with the world but find the people that you trust with that vulnerability And you're going to really help serve yourself. Do you think that some of your willingness to be open and express yourself in a way that is impacting others so well is because of the unique position you come at this role as physician, because you are a patient as well as a doctor with your previously mentioned type one diabetes?
0: I I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, it's hard to say like growing up with diabetes, it's kind of just, you know, my makeup is one that like I came into medicine because I was interested in the medicine, but because I just like people. I like interacting with people. I like being able to help people, but I just like those interactions, you know, and that was a big reason why I decided not to do a surgical subspecialty because I wanted more time to spend with my patients. I think it's just something that I really enjoy, but it's true when you deal with a chronic illness yourself, it's always fascinating to me. Like when I'm sitting in my clinic and I have a type one patient with me, I know what it's going on in their mind. I know what they're feeling when they get their a1c back you know i describe it it's kind of like when you got your report card from you know middle school and your parents are looking at it you know you feel like you're in trouble i know what that's like and when they find out whether i tell them i'm type one or they see my pump or whatever it is that is such a tangible palpable change in the room and it's like they relax and they're like okay he gets it like you don't necessarily need to express The emotional roller coaster that goes into dealing with a chronic disease every day when someone else also lives it. But I say that not to say that if you don't have a chronic disease as a provider, that you can't also have the same level of empathy and understanding. And so, you know, I'm always cautious to say, like, oh, no, no, my type one is not, you know, what makes me a more empathetic doctor. But there is something an unspeakable bond that you have when you see someone on the street with their continuous glucose monitor and you just kind of look at each other and like yep like you get it you know it's nice to see it you're just like immediately a family member with them but regardless i do think that i have a lot of colleagues that don't have any medical issues and they're way better than i am than i could ever hope to be as an empathetic and amazing doctor so it's not that you need to have it but when you do have a chronic condition that you share it does help i think
1: yeah it's a different Shaped lens that you're looking at things from, not necessarily saying one is better or worse than the other, but it does give you an interesting perspective that can be meaningful, I'm quite sure, for the patient's experience as well. Finally, how did the pandemic affect you as a physician and therefore your art?
0: I mean, it affected me as a person. It just destroyed me. It was the darkest time of my life without a doubt. It was miserable. And again, it was interesting to me how I didn't have words to put to what I was experiencing. I was just like a shell of a human being. It was really, really hard. And I remember there was one particular night or I guess morning, I had worked a night shift in the COVID ICU and I came home and I had just seen horrific things as everyone was in those units in those days. And I couldn't sleep. I was exhausted, but I couldn't sleep. And I just needed to get that energy out of me. And so I drew a comic that was loosely based on one of the like kind of moments that I experienced that evening. And as soon as I finished, I was able to sleep. And there's something about that world of graphic medicine where you put it out onto paper and you still sit with those feelings. But when you close the book or when you have something tangible and you can walk away from it, it does let you digest it in a way that talking about it or ignoring it or sublimating it in some way won't. And so again, it was really my art that was helpful, but I also felt this, I don't know how to describe it. This, I was, I was petrified. I was, I was scared out of my mind, but I did feel this pride in being able to have a skill set that could potentially help in the time of need. And that pride was derived from the people around me. So when I would walk into the hospital, absolutely scared out of my mind, I would see my colleagues and they were not scared. They were there, they were there to do tasks and they, they did that. And in seeing them and their bravery and their just being incredible humans, I wanted to celebrate them and tell their stories. And so I started to do some portraits at that time. So in between shifts, when I was home and all of my friends said the same, all well, my friends in medicine said the same, you didn't really feel scared or unwell until you were at home when you couldn't be helping and you wanted to get back in there, even though you knew that you were exposing yourself and being you know, vulnerable again. But in those moments when I wanted to do something and kind of pay tribute to the people around me, I started to draw them and I would draw them in their PPE and I would ask them about their experience and then put their words behind their portrait kind of to tell their story because I wanted to lift their voices as well.
1: Dr. Mike Natter, MD, second year endocrinology fellow and amazing communicator. We have really benefited from your candor and it's really inspirational on many, many different levels. So thank you so much for being here.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: So if you would, I'm not even going to say if you would, I'm going to tell you, you need to go to mikenattermedical.com and see the beautiful art that Dr. Natter has created. You can also follow his journey on Instagram at, at mike.natter. I also highly encourage you to read his writing, great communicator with his blog at Board Vitals. But most of all, I just hope that you also pull some of your own inspiration and think about ways that you can express yourself outside of the silos of just work in order to enrich the important work that you are doing in the world as a whole physician. It's been great to be with you. I'm Jill Farmer, and we'll see you next time on Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. Thanks, all of you, for tuning in to listen to this edition of Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. We have something new and exciting to tell you about, so I want you to hop over to docworking.com. Doc Working Thrive is getting ready to launch in a very short time. And what that is, is a subscription service for physicians. It includes An excellent self-paced course called STAT that is all about quick wins for living well. It is group coaching. It is a Facebook group where you have a chance to connect to other positions and coaches to ask questions about things that are happening in your life. And it also includes weekly video tips to come and give you advice on important things in your life. So we're really excited about this. The price is almost too good to be true. It's so good. And I really think it's going to be a fabulous support network for physicians. So we hope you hop on over, check out Doc Working Thrive today. And until next time, we'll see you on Doc Working, the whole physician podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Taran. I'm the producer of the Doc Working podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. On Instagram, we are docworking1, and that is with the number 1. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story you'd like to tell, please reach out to me at amanda at docworking.com to apply to be on the podcast. Thank you again, and we look forward to talking with you on the next episode of Doc Working, The Whole Physician Podcast.